This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. 2016 is a year many people in Louisiana will not forget. As a result of lessons learned from the March and August 2016 flooding events and previous disasters in Louisiana, GOSAP, at the direction of Governor Edwards, joined other state and local leaders in developing proposed changes that would improve disaster preparedness, response, and recovery for our citizens. These changes were pursued at the state and federal level, and along with our congressional and legislative partners, significant and important changes were made. On this episode, we will hear from one of the leaders in that fight, Congressman Garrett Graves. We'll get an update on disaster recovery reform efforts, and we will explain what these changes mean for people here in the state. We will also speak with Tangipahoe Parish President Robbie Miller. Since taking office, President Miller has led the parish during the response and recovery for recent events. We will examine those emergencies and talk about the lessons learned. Before we get started with our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. On the last episode, we talked about the state's work to become a leader in the cybersecurity field. Staying on that theme, this is the time of year we do a lot more shopping and you need to protect your information. When shopping online, make sure the site is secure and legit before providing your credit card number and other personal information. Report fraud and attempted fraud to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center at ic3.gov. That is today's preparedness tip. Now on to our first interview. Congressman Garrett Graves is a Republican member of Congress representing Louisiana's 6th Congressional District, 13 parishes stretching from North Baton Rouge through the Capital Region down to Louisiana's Bayou Country. That means much of his district was hit hard by the 2016 floods, and the fight to help survivors from that event will not end soon. Congressman Graves, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Now, I know this won't be a simple answer, but we will kind of follow your lead for this interview. Tell us where we are on some of the important changes you and the Louisiana delegation have been working on in D.C. Well, I think some of the, the most acute problems that were identified as some of these things dating back to Hurricanes Katrina and in 2005, but certainly uh, really emphasized or really became big problems in the in the in the 2016 flood uh, were have all been solved. And I'll run through a few of those things. Uh, we had this issue with schools, some of the schools in our community uh, being charged, uh, literally school systems being charged tens of millions of dollars in deductibles by FEMA. So this is money that was being taken directly from the education of our kids. And, and being paid to FEMA. We were able to relieve virtually all of that debt uh, from our schools and allowing these schools to be rebuilt to recover and, and emphasizing the kids, uh, focusing on the kids, prioritizing properly. We have uh, provisions in there related to uh, the proper standards, engineering standards for evacuation routes like I-12 and how to design those to make sure that, that they handle the water properly. We have provisions in there that allow for an arbitration process to where you don't go back to FEMA to appeal a decision that they made to begin with. 
And another really big one is this duplication of benefits issue whereby uh, federal policy was saying that people that applied for a loan through the SBA, whether they got the loan, didn't get the loan, anyone who applied for a loan through the Small Business Administration to rebuild their home was being penalized and that they were being told that they could not apply for or be eligible for a grant through the Restore Louisiana program. So we, we were able to change the law and get that fixed as well, although we are continuing to work through some of the bureaucracy to make sure that that uh, change is, is fully implemented. But this bill that we did, uh, it's called the Disaster Reform and Recovery Act. It probably fixes about 20 of the different just kind of disaster preparedness, response, and recovery problems that we've identified in Louisiana and other areas in recent disasters. Now, at the time of this recording, it's early December. As of now, what are some of the final steps needed to see these major changes go into place? Well, anytime you change a law, uh, federal agencies have to get together and they go through and they read the law, they interpret it. In some cases, they have to go through a rulemaking process because we did reverse or change a lot of federal policy. They have to go through a process where they will revoke an existing rule uh, and they will put forward a new rule or a new, uh, new guidelines for how laws are to be implemented. And they usually do that with some type of public commenting process. So while, while the law has been changed, uh, there are some implementation procedures that they still have to go through. And again, in some cases, it could be a formal rulemaking process. In other cases, it's simply the attorneys going through and actually reading and, and getting the guidelines um, together on how that law is going to be implemented. In fact, that's one of the challenges we're running into right now on duplication of benefits is that four different federal agencies have been called in to help interpret this provision. And uh, as you can imagine, they've come up with three different interpretations from four different agencies. And so they're trying to sort through that right now. But I am confident that this ultimately is going to yield the outcome that we want, which is the $250 million that's in the bank today in federal funds being being dispersed out to, to some of our flood victims in Louisiana. Now, we just wrapped up the 2018 hurricane season. Again, we saw major damage in other parts of the country from hurricanes Florence and Michael. We saw wildfires that devastated areas out west. How do you see uh, Washington addressing future disasters like this going forward? And will the changes you back benefit everyone? First, I think the changes will benefit everyone because these weren't just Louisiana problems. They were problems in disaster policy or disaster law that we fixed. And so I think that you are going to see better preparation for storms. I think you're going to see better response and more efficient recovery. Um, one of the things, Michael, that, that's important is with these disasters, happening in other areas. Louisiana has been a disaster-prone state. Uh, just thinking back over the last several years, we had Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, and then in 2008, Hurricanes Gustav and Ike, and Hurricane Isaac in, in 2012. Uh, we have had all sorts of, of storms over the last several years. Of course, our 2016 disaster, we had record high water on the Mississippi River three over the last 10 years. So, so many, many challenges here at home. But I think that now that you're seeing disasters in recent years in Texas and Florida and Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico and Georgia in South Carolina and North Carolina, you are bringing a lot of other folks to the table. And, of course, the wildfires in California that you mentioned uh, and, and just uh, recently the earthquake in Alaska, you're bringing other constituencies to the table, other states to the table, and, and folks understanding that, that disaster flaws 
disaster policy flaws and lack of preparedness isn't something that just adversely affects Louisiana. It affects everyone in all 50 states, those that may be susceptible to winter storms and freezing, those that may be susceptible to uh, tornadoes or earthquakes, those that may be susceptible to wildfires or droughts, and then, of course, in Louisiana, floods and hurricanes. Um, but, but bringing all those people to the table, not just giving them sympathy, but empathy, uh, I think is going to help give more momentum to leaning forward and being more proactive in preventing disasters, preparing for disasters, rather than this reactive approach the federal government has taken for way too long, whereby they come in and pick up the pieces after the disaster and, of course, end up spending a lot of extra money doing so. Kind of staying on that same theme, if you don't mind me asking, we, you know, Louisiana has really stepped up. When you take a look at those disasters in other areas, uh, the Virgin Islands, uh, you know, Puerto Rico, the Carolinas, Florida, all these different areas, Texas during Hurricane Harvey, other states seem to really be getting on board with the state-to-state assistance programs and everything. Do you think going forward that'll be kind of key to emergency management, uh, kind of seeing the current course maybe FEMA or some of the federal agencies are going? I think it is a, is a great approach. Of course, these, these EMAC-type agreements, um, if, if you think about it for a minute, uh, uh, Michael, disasters are unpredictable. Uh, when they happen, you need a surge of a workforce. So let's say, and we'll just make up numbers, let's say that you have a big disaster and you need to bring 10,000 disaster response and recovery personnel to the table. I mean, 10,000, does that mean that you should, you should staff up an agency with 10,000 people and have them there year-round, year after year? Or does it make more sense and, have, and, and perhaps have a more agile approach whereby you have states that each may have uh, 1,000 or so in their organizations? And when a disaster happens, you move uh, those capabilities within the different states uh, to the states that actually have the need. It's a more cost-effective approach. You're bringing diversity in. Uh, certainly, Louisiana has been, has been amazing, whether it's our first responders or GOSEP or our National Guard or even our, our Cajun Forces type folks that just have gone out there and volunteered. Uh, I was talking to someone in Florida the other day that was dealing with the aftermath of the hurricane. Their, their quote was, Louisiana has shown up in a huge way here. And, and, you know, as you know, in the, in the aftermath of a disaster, the disaster survivors and disaster, disaster victims are often just at a loss of where to even start. Uh, just uh, their homes were destroyed, their businesses were destroyed, uh, many of their, their family possessions uh, destroyed. And, and to have people come in that have been through this before that can empathize with what these people are going through and say, okay, I'm here, here's what we're going to do, I know what's going on, I know how to do this, I've been through this before, I can empathize with you, lifting them up, bringing the energy, bringing the expertise to the table, it is a huge, huge benefit to those disaster communities, and I think that you are going to continue to see increased reliance on those EMAC-type agreements or the agreements between the states whereby you will send staff and send expertise to different states that have been affected by a disaster from states like Louisiana that have uh, such an incredible amount of expertise in how to 
prepare for, respond, and uh, recover from a disaster. Now, in addition to Congress, you've also worked at the state level in, in dealing with many of these events that we talked about. Any message you want to give to the people going forward on how they should personally be looking at these situations? Well, Michael, I think that the state uh, did, a, did a great job in putting their Get a Game Plan initiative together. It's one of those things that uh, you, you often don't have a, a lot of warning or heads up. I think Hurricane Katrina was was actually one of the hurricanes where where there was a more of a heads up or a lead time in that disaster. But as we've seen in just the, the recent years, these hurricanes can take a turn, an unpredicted turn, in very short order. And if you don't have an idea of where you're going to go, of what you need to bring with you, of how to help to protect or safeguard your home and some of your belongings, and more, most importantly, your your family, your pets, and others, uh, it's really important to. Uh, to get an idea, uh, to get a plan put together on what you're going to do in the event of a disaster, because by the time we're actually given a heads up that a disaster is actually coming or it's imminent, in many cases, we simply do not have time to put that plan together and think about what it is we're going to do, what we need to do with our possessions, our home, and other things. And so it doesn't take long to do it. There's some great advice online on y'all's website, but I think it's similar to the federal government. Um, you have got to lean forward and be proactive. It's more cost-effective. It's better at life-saving. It's better for the resiliency of your community, or in this case, your family. I just cannot urge the importance of, of truly heeding that advice and getting a game plan for you, your family, and your business before disaster strikes or before it's imminent. Yeah, the studies prove exactly what you said, that your family will be safer and ultimately more comfortable, even in the face of disaster, uh, if you can take some of those steps now. One last point on this. It's important to keep in mind that, you know what, it, this is an example of where it's really important to be overly conservative. Yes, you may have to evacuate two or three times and that disaster doesn't actually hit. But, but that doesn't mean you should get, get complacent and say, well, you know what, I'm not going to do it next time. You may have some over-preparation or some overly conservative uh, instances where you go ahead and evacuate. But uh, in the long run, that is absolutely the safest, best thing to do because uh, you, you often aren't given a second chance whenever disaster strikes. Yeah, taking a look at some of the, some of the new stories coming out of California prove just that when you take a look at these wildfires and different events. So we appreciate you taking time out for us today. You know, I know everyone appreciates the fight you and the delegation are, are putting up in, in Congress uh, trying to get these reform efforts out. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. You, you and Lori and your family as well. I appreciate it. Now we will move to the emergency resource segment for this episode. The Louisiana Watershed Initiative recently wrapped up a statewide listening tour to address a massive flood prevention effort. A website is now up where you can see what's being done. Here's a little background. The efforts of Governor John Bell Edwards and the Council on Watershed Management represent proactive leadership on flood mitigation. The state is committed to solving watershed management issues with everyone involved, cities, parish, federal agencies, research and nonprofit organizations, universities, and private sector partners. The state recognizes that the status quo is simply no longer an option. Water flows downhill and does not recognize political or arbitrary boundaries. That means it must be managed taking this behavior into account. 
The Louisiana Watershed Initiative was created to pull everyone together to get this done. If you want to find out more, visit watershed.la.gov. That's today's resource tip. Moving on to our second interview, Robbie Miller has served as the parish president in Tangipahoe since 2016. Before taking office, Miller was president of Mosaic Technology Group. He's taken an aggressive approach to growing the parish, but it's also been addressing some recent emergencies head on. Sir, thanks for joining us today. Well, I appreciate being here. Uh, yeah, the idea we'll talk to everyone about how GOSEP works, Tangible Parish works together. I just appreciate the opportunity. So one of the topics uh, we're going to hit on is how when you took office, you really had to hit the ground running when, when the March flood happened and other events after that. You're right. Uh, two months to the day. It was uh, March the 11th. We were sworn in on January the 11th. March the 11th, uh, Dawson Primes, our emergency manager, uh, called me at about 2.30 in the morning and said, we've been evacuating people for a couple of hours. And, uh, you know, being brand new, I was like, okay, so great. So we're doing what we need to do. What do, what do I need to do? And he said, we need to come up here. So uh, come sign the emergency declaration. So, uh, you know, got, got my feet literally wet uh, very quickly. Uh, you know, some people don't know, though, just a few weeks before that, um, we had the tornadoes come through St. John the Baptist mm-hmm. Parish. And then those same tornadoes went through Livingston a little bit and went over the top of Tangeboe. We were blessed that they were too high and didn't do any damage, but they went straight across Tangeboe Parish. So even a few weeks before that, I'd had my first taste of what could happen. Uh, and, and so right off the bat, it, we, emergencies were a big part of what we were going to have to deal with in our administration. Just about every community in Louisiana outside of the New Orleans region was impacted by those floods back in 2016. Uh, one of the things a lot of people may not realize is there were some areas that were hit twice with both events. And and I guess you had to deal with a lot of that in Tangipahoe. Yeah, yes, we did. And, you know, coming in new new administration after uh, Mr. Burgess, our previous parish president, 29 years of his tenure. I come in after that. A lot of new energy, want to do a bunch of new stuff. And like I said, March 11th, the first flood hits. Look, I think, you know, folks in, you know, we know as that work with the, in emergency management, but it takes a long time to recover from that. And so even, you know, we're, we're starting to get really moving toward the recovery of the March flood and August 12th comes along five days and one month later, boom, we get hit with another flood. Uh, and those citizens in Tangible Parish that if you flooded in March, you flooded two and a half times, three times as bad in August. But those folks who flooded twice actually had flooded three times in five years because um, Hurricane Ike or Gustav caused the same type of flooding in Tangible just a few years before. So our citizens in that, that area were really hit hard and, and they were looking for us, new administration, to figure out how to get it fixed. Were you able to look at some of the lessons you learned from that first year and, and kind of moving forward, uh, things you you plan to do differently? The biggest lesson I learned is it's exceptionally important to have institutional knowledge, people on your staff that understand and know the process, know exactly what needs to happen. Uh, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be be able to lead that group, but without Dawson Primes, Missy Coward, Jeff McNeely, um, the help I got from some retired, I had Ron Whitaker, a retired state trooper, was there with me. He was part of our transition team, and Joe Thomas was retired from the state uh, Louisiana National Guard. You know, they came up to to advise, and you know, couldn't have done it without their advice, especially in March. You know, it's it's amazing how one time through it uh, really helps you. be ready for the next time, although you don't want to do it. 
uh, we were a lot more prepared because we did our after action from March. We learned a lot about what we did then and, and how we needed to work, and we did even better in August. Doesn't help our citizens with water. That water didn't care that we were prepared, um, but the idea that we were able to, to respond, uh, we had great help from GOSEP, from um, uh, the governor, not just you know GOSEP and anything else, the state police, National Guard, everybody was there to make this that the the reaction and the um, the the search and rescue part was was phenomenally well executed. I'm still a little the the recovery piece, which is still going on in 2018, two over two years later, a little frustrating on that part though. Absolutely, you know that's one of the things we're hitting on on this episode is how that 2016 was so monumental that we're actually seeing changes from D.C. on down, you know, to the way things are addressed with recovery. So it's kind of good to see that that the wheels are changing, I guess, uh, are moving, even though it does take a long time, like you said. One of the things that we talked about at GOSEP when looking at you guys at the local level, there's a lot that you guys do as far as emergency management with the lily pads and, and some of the other steps that you've taken. Can you kind of talk to us about that and, and sure. how important those you, things you are? You know, I guess when it first starts, you know, although, you know, GOSEP is there for support, we're the ones closest to the ground, right? We're right there where it's happening at the epicenter of whatever's happening in our parish. So our folks have to break and run. And, and the idea that we set up the, the process for lily pads, uh, you know, the, the dry areas where you bring people whenever they're they're uh, evacuated, whether it be a flood or a tornado, whatever it is, we still have that spot that we that we identify quickly uh, within the region of, of where the emergency is happening. Um, then our shelters, we we you know in the past in our in sixteen we we counted on the Red Cross to set those up. Uh, we kind of changed our process a little bit so that we we're gonna we're gonna launch those um, shelters first with Red Cross assistance later. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we have the the. The system in place between ourselves, our faith-based groups, our volunteer groups to handle the shelter for up to 72 hours till we can get Red Cross in here fully executed, and uh, then be, really be able to take over. We found out there was you know there's some some gaps in there, but there was a lot going on. It wasn't you know you can't blame anybody in 16. It was so broad and so widespread that that everybody was spread so thin. We had to count on ourselves as much as we could, even though everybody wanted to help. They were just I mean we start talking about from Tangeville Parish all the way over to to Lafayette. I mean, there's a lot of people that were affected. You know, what's difficult to explain to people is when you have an event that big, there's no way you're going to stop, you know, just heartache. It's it, Things are going to happen. Absolutely. But, but it's when you can save lives and, and get the recovery process going as, as slow as that may be right. at times, you know, it, it, that's the most important things. And, and when it comes to sheltering, like you mentioned, when you have something that catastrophic, you have to get people just to, you know, maybe a gym or a church or just right. someplace safe. And then the bigger shelters with more, uh, you know, uh, amenities right. at those shelters will be available at some point, but they yeah. may not be available right away. And, and we, were, we were very fortunate that the majority of our folks that, that were uh, evacuated, rescued, went to family and friends. Um, our shelters didn't have to have a huge uh, didn't have a large uh, quantity of people or with the right word census of folks at one time. And I'll tell you that, you know, we, we, I think we did a lot of things wonderful. I mean, I think we did a great job with everybody's help from uh, the federal level all the way down. But some things that, that we found out and, then, and we've got to figure out how to do better is keeping up with the people that we rescue. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? If they go to another family or a friend, where is that? If they go to the shelter, where is it? Uh, we were moving people so quickly, and if somebody said, hey, my, fam- my family's here to pick me up, we let them go, but we didn't know who they were. 
Right. And uh, so then you get the the grandparent or the or the child that lives out of state that knows that their parents were were evacuated, and they say, "We know we got them. Mm-hmm. We don't know where they are." That's and, not and, a very good answer. <laughs> well, and then when the shelters had to be adjusted, you know, mm-hmm. we saw so many times with these two flood events where people were brought to a church or a school or someplace they thought was safe, and then five hours later, it that was place not. was that's going correct. That's and correct. so you had to you had to adjust those people to a different location. Uh, so I mean, it was incredibly difficult, but. One other factor is you had the first responders impacted by this. You know, it's one thing That's for right. a lot of people that that work in an area to respond to an emergency, but when their homes and and families are in danger too, you know, that's that's a, and, you know, problem. and we talk about the first responders and everybody immediately, rightfully so, think to police, fire, and and you know, uh, EMS, which is absolutely out there. But you know, in in our case. Our parish employees, our road and bridge guys and ladies are first responders, too. Mm-hmm. They're out there b- blocking the roads, uh, you know, trying to, to clear uh, culverts and so forth if they can, if that's going to make an assist, assist, taking trees off, out of the roads. You know, so those folks are first responding. And, and you can, you know, if you look at some 25 percent of our citizens were flooded, that includes all of our citizens, those first responders, too. So, you know, our, our folks were out there, including all those firemen and policemen and our public works people, EMS, were out, out, out there with the possibility, no doubt, there were several of them that their homes were flooded and somebody else was taking their family out of it, mm-hmm. or they had gotten them out early enough because they did listen, and they got them out. And so it's, it's uh, you know, those guys are in their heart and soul are killing themselves to help somebody that they probably don't even know while somebody else is getting their family settled somewhere else. Looking back at some of those disasters like that, I really feel like that message hasn't gotten out enough. The the job those men and women did, uh, it, you saw it, we saw it. We had employees that went through the same thing. Our director's home, you know, flooded in the, mm-hmm. the Lafayette area. I didn't even know that until like weeks after he talked about a, a high school football team coming through and help, helping right. them muck and gut. Mm-hmm. But he was – you know, he never missed a beat right. with work, so I never had yeah. a reason to think he. Leighton Ricks, our parish president, and and La- and uh, excuse me, in Livingston, his home went under, mm-hmm. so he was more or less living uh, in his building in the, in the parish building for a few days there till he figured out what he was going to do. And, but you know, he had to go to work. And, uh, I, thankfully, I was I was blessed that. Uh, most of our upper management folks were in pretty good shape, but um, everybody's important to us. Every you know, so any of our folks that were flooded, we were trying to make sure that we helped them too. You know, they were getting the additional assistance that was necessary, and then making sure that all of our citizens did. Kind of going back to what we hit on the intro, you have been very aggressive in attracting business and, and attracting people to Tangipahoa. I think you can drive through the parish today and kind of see that when you're dealing with the recovery issues and and some of that has that taught you more about what to tell those people as they come in? We have been uh, very fortunate to have people think that Tangibahoa is, is a great place to live and, and, and do business, and we're, we're very fortunate for that, and we're appreciative of that. But uh, we are much more careful about where people locate. Uh, we're currently right now rewriting a lot of our subdivision rules and regs to uh, address drainage, uh, stormwater retention, uh, moving it and so forth. So, uh, how do you deal with the floodplain? How do you deal with wetlands? All those things are being looked at right now. And hopefully, some new rules so that new development doesn't just push water somewhere else. Uh, so, you know, we're trying to make sure that we knew it was a problem in January of 2016. We proved it was a problem by the end of 2016 that we needed to do something about it, and, and we are. I think that you know we can 
we watched St. Tammany over the years and Livingston explode with growth and I think we can learn a lot of lessons from them and I think we're in front of it a little bit better uh, today than we were two years ago and we're going to continue to work on it every day to, to make sure that we get better. You know, our office has been kind of working hand in hand with the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, I know there's concerns because people hear about studies and about research and everything all the time, but this has really taken a deep look at all the watersheds in Louisiana and how we can approve things. And I know Tanchapo has kind of been in the in the center of that movement. Yeah, as well. we definitely are. Yeah, that, and and I love the idea of the regionalized and worrying about the other parishes and all that. But you know, it's interesting uh, uh, information about Tanchapo. Everybody thinks we're, that people each each region thinks they're a little bit different. In our case, about about 90% of our watershed is the Tangeboe River, which starts at the top of our parish, uh, just above us in Mississippi a few miles, and goes straight through the middle and ends in, in, at Lake Pontchartrain. So we're kind of that one albatross out there that has the one watershed that takes care of most of us, um, and, and we need to, to focus on it and work on it. We have a little bit of sharing with Livingston, a little bit of sharing with Washington and St. Tammany, but uh, the majority of our watershed is Tangeboe River, and we're, we, we're anxiously waiting to get moving on our, our piece. So we've been doing some, a few things here and there and some various studies, but to know that everywhere, how does that – in, in I've asked for actually prior to the first flood. It was like, okay, how do we how do we know when water falls in Kentwood? How does it get to Lake Lake Pontchartrain? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're working. We've been wanting that. It's just getting the funding and the science. I mean, I think I think these floods are improving the science of it, and uh, people are. You know, some really smart folks in the technology world are really working on how to do that with the GIS and the LIDAR and, and the engineers and all to make sure that we really do. It's not just a guess, but a, a, a highly educated guess about how that water moves. You know, we, we went around to the state, and I know you guys participated in a listening tour, and now there's a lot of information on the Louisiana Watershed website if anyone wants to find out more about that. But like you said, there's hardly – uh, anything kind of more important right now looking at back at some of the recent events. As far as the public is concerned, you talked about how important it is you know, for government agencies and everyone to be involved in planning and to be prepared. Any message you want to get out to the public about what they need to do and just what the best steps are? As best as we possibly could, we worked hard to make sure the public knew when we were meeting to make sure they could come you know, come, give us your input, give us your insight on what, what did you deal with, what was good for you, what, what didn't work. And uh, we've gotten some, thankfully, we had some real good response from that. But I think the bigger thing is to, to please listen. Listen to us. Trust us. You know, if we're not doing this just because we feel like making a big deal out of something. We believe it's something. At the time, the information we're getting, we believe something bad is coming, and uh, we ask you to leave. Uh, not to beat it up, but in the August flood, we knew from the March flood just a few months before, if you flooded in March, you were going to flood in August. And we still had to go re- rescue some of the same people. Mm-hmm. And I understand maybe March, you know, it was new. You didn't know. We weren't sure what it was going to be. But we knew there was more rain in August. Mm-hmm. It was going to the same places. Our, our parish didn't change. The, the topology of our parish didn't change. That water was going to come. Uh, there were some different – there were different characteristics to the to the two storms that had to deal with the southeast wind was blowing – instead of being southeast, instead of the wind blowing in on the lake, it was blowing out in August. So it took a little longer to get to the folks that flooded but it got there and so it was a little frustrating that that you know we were telling you we, there's no doubt there's absolutely if you flooded in March you're going to flood in August and we still had to go get those folks so you know, please listen to us please you know if we ask you to leave it's because we're, we're looking out for your safety not to make it easy on us but to, to make sure you're safe because there's, there's a whole lot easier to drive out in the 
normal weather than to try and come out in a boat that's mm-hmm. you know that that's really fighting a lot of uh, current and wind and darkness and whatever else could be going on. You know, and, and hurricanes get so much attention, but it's those floods that are our biggest threat. Well, and people I, I can, need to, I, need yeah, to we, be aware of that. We mobile, we have mobilized the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, for two different hurricanes, and neither one of them came our way. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of careful about it, but I, I've told uh, our folks, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not as concerned about hurricanes, but I should be. I know I should be. But I'm worried to death about every every time it rains. I'm watching how much rain's going to happen because I know what that does. Right. I hadn't I hadn't been in charge during one of the hurricanes, but uh, you know I've been told a lot that it's is it's just as much just as bad. Get ready. So I don't want to have to. I'm I'm glad I hadn't had to experience it. But floods are plenty. Yeah. Sometimes you have days to get ready for those hurricanes. So as a from a preparation standpoint, that helps. And these spot floods are just just a monster to deal with at time. As we wrap up, would you like to talk about any websites or social media accounts that you guys use to help sure. get that information out? Obviously, the, the, the most, um, with, with everything there is tangibleho.org. If you go there, you can then launch out to the others. But one of the big things that we're doing is the Tangi Alert. It's where you can sign up and get text messages, voicemail messages, emails about what's going on all the time. We, we use it for the most part for emergencies, but we do send out other information throughout the year. So it's very important if the folks in Tangible Parish sign up for Tangi Alert from, through our website, you can find it on tangibleho.org. It'd be very helpful to keep you help us keep you informed. Great. We appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming by, and we hope to have you on again. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Congressman Garrett Graves and Tanchapo Parish President Robbie Miller for the information they provided today. Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned today to help you and your family finalize your emergency plans. We also want to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. For more on most of the topics we talked about today, go to GetAGamePlan.org. And don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll talk to you again in 2019. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.